Bob Hurley coached basketball at St. Anthony's in Jersey City, New Jersey for over 50 years. He's recognized as one of the great basketball coaches in history at any level. And Coach Hurley has gathered just about every award and every level of championship you could imagine, including national titles and many, many state championships. It was great to have the chance to speak with Coach Hurley on the podcast today to learn about his early formation as a, as a young athlete and some of the coaches who affected him in his early days, um, all the way up through his days um, to the current day where he's working with, with young kids and teaching them the game. I was especially interested to hear Coach talk about the difference um, of just knowing the game and coaching the game um, and actually being able to teach the game. And he was certainly a master teacher, one of the all-time great teachers of the game. So he talked about that a little bit. Coach Hurley also talked about some former players, especially one former player who uh, he worked with his family and got to know his family and the way he supported him uh, over the years. Coach Hurley talked about how uh, a high school coach is a relationship that um, players have for their whole life and it was really impressive to hear how he still keeps in touch with so many of his players and what a powerful influence he's had on just hundreds and hundreds of lives over the years. So it was really just a tremendous honor to get to speak with coach and to learn from him. Thanks coach for joining us and we learned a lot from you today. playground and he gave us a chance to play during the summer 
which now would be considered like no big deal. But when I was a kid, you just went, you constantly went from playground to playground to look for, you know, chances to play against somebody different. Now we had a league at night. So we we did that. uh, He did that for a couple of years. And uh, when I was finishing high school, my senior year, he didn't do it anymore. One year later, I was a freshman in college and I was running it. And that was kind of the beginning of, I'm, uh, I'm growing up playing, I'm influenced by these men. Uh, during that same time that Mr. McCoy is running the summer league, he's the athletic director in the parish. And uh, he leaves, could have been health, could have been just age. And it was nobody to run the summer league, so I did. And then somebody said to me, well, you run the summer league, why don't you become the athletic director for the parish? So, so I became the athletic director for the parish, probably at 19. And I was now trying to run all the grammar school programs that we had and uh, got myself involved and still was playing. So I was like a player, you know, I was doing whatever I could in the parish and, and playing college basketball. I played my first year at St. Peter's College and uh, and then ultimately uh, after my second year in, in, in college, I was a freshman coach at St. Anthony's by what would have been my junior year of college. I was having some conversations with some other coaches recently and and one was well one was Jim Delaney who actually was a, the commissioner and he was sure, tell, he sure. was he was telling me about some just real characters when when he grew up in I think the Newark area yes up, he's he's a Newark uh, he's Saint a Newark Benedict. guy so his playgrounds would have been uh you know it w- there were meeting places for everybody you know nobody had any money so the kids that were baseball players, the football players, the kids that ran track, kids that were hanging around from the uh, from the neighborhood, everybody would go into the into the playground and you know watch the games. There might be a stickball game going on uh, on a wall someplace. Uh, somebody be throwing around a uh, a football. There was all kinds of stuff going on, but on the main court, the basketball court. Nobody did anything but go over there to seriously play or uh, watch the guys play, and nobody was on that court that didn't belong. If you weren't good enough to be on the main court, guys would say to you, they'd point to one of the other courts. There were three in the playground when I was growing up, and they'd point to another court and say, uh, hey, why don't you go, why don't you go play over there? <laughs> well, you had to earn, you had to earn, yeah, you had to earn yeah, that court. Yeah. You had to get to that court. Those those coaches that you mentioned, including your dad, uh, what was it that influenced you? Was it just the fact that you love sports and they were the adults who were there, or was it something about yeah. their personalities? Yeah, no, it was, it was just, I think it was just an, you know, the naivete of like getting involved in sports. It was like, you know, we weren't growing up, we grew up playing everything ourselves. So whether it was football until I put a uniform on in the eighth grade, when we had an eighth grade football team, I had played, uh, you know, football against different neighborhoods where we just went to another neighborhood and played. And the ages on the team could be, you know, like the stuff now where kids reclassify and everybody's playing age group basketball. When I was a kid, if I was in fourth grade or fifth grade and we went to play another neighborhood, the kids on the other team might have been in seventh grade and you're in fourth grade and you just played because you banded together the 11 to play or eight or whatever it was, and you played tackle football, no equipment. You just played. When you went to play baseball, you know, you had a baseball that probably had uh, 
what do you call tape on it? Uh, electrical tape to uh, to keep the seams from uh, splitting further. And you went and you you played and played and played, and uh, you played all different ways with you know three guys, five guys, seven guys, maybe a whole group. And uh, but then there was never anybody had catcher's equipment until you're old enough to play little league. So we were doing this stuff. And we were so like, it was so great to play something organized where they kept score, adults ran it, the equipment, there were bases, there were crowds, there were so many things that were great. And this was just our introduction to sports at 12, 13, you know, 14 years old. And to be in charge of something at such a young age while you're still playing, did as you think back about about that, were you drawing kind of directly from the models you saw as you started being a leader and a coach? Um, how did you know what 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 to well, make? Well, I think it was, it was there was the parallel to that would be I was also the oldest of four, so I had two younger brothers, and one of the things my dad had done my dad my dad would take us down to Roosevelt Stadium, and we would go down and play baseball, and we go down to throw a football, and uh, so he would take us out. And then, as, as happens in households, my dad wound up w- working two jobs quite a bit. And as I was growing up now, and I'm late in grammar school, I'm now taking my brother Brian, who was five years younger, I'm taking him out to do things. I'm also dragging him along with me. And then my brother Timmy, who was nine years younger, I had to wait on that a little bit till I was, you know, into my, uh, you know, uh, almost late high school, early college, where I would be able to connect with him at all because nine years is a big gap so yeah so their involvement there and there's no doubt charlie shaughnessy remained a man until he until he passed away uh was a man that i respected tremendously uh mr mccoy i kept in contact with and uh they were they were men my little league coaches the men that coached in little league i loved those those people because they gave me a chance to play and i loved i loved the the uh the competition you know, just the being able to put a uniform on and go in and play in a game. I think it was probably a lot of like, probably how I perceived myself that I had a chance to, to be an athlete and to put a uniform on. And that's where I saw myself. And, and I respected those men so much for giving me a chance to, you know, to do those things. When we read uh, Woj's book about you, um, it seemed like one of the themes you talked about a lot was that, you know, the, the lessons that that the young people learn through the game and learning to have a better life through sport. Um, and one of the, this, uh, the work we talk about a lot, we have this quote that we use, it's called, it's from a novel. And the quote is about what they call the growing good. And it, the quote goes for the growing good of the world is partly dependent on unhistoric acts and that things are not so ill with you and me as they might've been is half owing to the number who lived faith, faithfully a hidden life and rest in unvisited tombs. And so, and, and what we were getting at there when we talk about the this work of coaches is that a lot of, or most of the work is this, this idea of unhistoric acts. It's the small little things. Yep. It's, it's, not yep. the, it's not the famous moments. It's all this other stuff. Um, were, were there... Were there initial like unhistoric acts that propelled you forward, whether it was when you were playing at St. Peter's or um, little interactions you had with coaches that were impactful as you think back? Oh, yeah. yeah I, I, uh, you know, I think in the book there's mention of Charlie Shaughnessy 
telling me, you know, I played, I only played organized basketball for the first time in eighth grade. Uh, I came, my dad was a baseball guy, so I was playing organized baseball by the time Little League in sixth grade I was playing. So I started years earlier, football in the eighth grade, organized, but before that. But uh, when I was playing now, the people that uh, that were coaching me, the recreation people in the gyms, those men were, to me, just like the coaches. Uh, when I was fortunate enough to get older and I was becoming a better player, I represented our gym, uh, this number 30 school, which was the recreation gym closer to where I grew up. I represented the gym in a couple of like citywide shooting contests and won a couple of championships. And I would get picked up at my house by the recreation man, Mr. Coco, and he would take me to the competition and then bring me back home. And I'd walk in the house with a t-shirt and a small trophy and then proudly go into the gym the next night and have him stop everything for a minute and say something, you know, that I won this city championship the night before in another gym somewhere else in the city. They were huge, huge moments. And my self-esteem was just through the roof over these times because I'm very shy and I found myself right by, I, I was, I felt best about myself when it was an athletic competition and those people, you know, gave me a chance. So I, you know, I feel, since the day I started, the coaches at every level, the respect for them. And, you know, it's like, the, you know, I always talk about the anonymity of fighters. The guy that goes out and does his road work in the morning when people are still sleeping. You know, so many people that have, have influenced uh, success came in those early stages. And many of them have gone, you know, almost unrecognized. So the fact that you emphasize that, that's a wonderful thing because... Everybody, you know, whether you're, whatever you've reached in your career, every guy that's in the baseball and football and basketball Hall of Fame could look back at someone in grammar school, in high school, who told them, yes, you can. And from that was the beginning of the self-esteem and this belief that, wow, somebody told me I actually can do that. I grew up in, in South Bend, just like a block or two from um, Notre Dame. And I remember um, as a kid, my friend, I had a friend, my friend Andrew, uh, his folks had tickets to the game, the basketball games. And we would go out, walk out there and wa watch the Notre Dame basketball teams. And, I, and and one of our heroes was David Rivers. And, oh, yeah. and, and to us, just little kids he was he was a superstar um i i was reading recently about um about him and he they were asking him about playing for you and about how you know the, the great success you had and all of that and he in the the story he shared was about it wasn't about um a lot of the kind of famous moments but it was about this one time i don't know if it was after a practice or at some point he said he kind of got the courage up to ask you about his dad like his dad had been working a lot and he didn't get a chance to see his dad a lot because his dad was working so much and yep, it was yep. his father worked for Lightelier. he worked for Lightelier in jersey city uh you know they made uh, uh incandescent lights and he was what he called he was a wonderful man and well he said that it was a small time it was a s small little conversation but that he had never brought up to anyone before that uh that that was a tough thing uh, in, in that you spent maybe just a few minutes with him and you told him that his dad loved him and that, you know, to keep going, 
do you do you remember that moment or i'm sure you've had thousands I, thousands of those moments yeah i know i know and i know part of it is and i i love to tell the story is that when david and i he had he was one of 14 children and wow. his parents had a lot of uh, they had a lot of their children so they had nieces and nephews he had nieces and nephews at the house all the time it was a huge gathering the rivers family <laughs> and his father worked you know long hours and when he would come it wasn't like the uh, you could sit down and have a conversation in the house there was you know a multitude of people there and I remember saying to him about this process about going, you know, realizing the hours of his dad has put in and there's so many children that he's just got to share time with everybody. And that one of the things that he should do in the recruiting process is he should go to work one day. And they were getting, they were going through this in the very beginning of senior year where he was going to go to college. And I said, here's what we're going to do. I said, why don't you just give dad the names of the schools and ask him during his lunch break at work to talk to the other men. And if they had a choice, and I think they'll love talking to your dad about it, if they had a choice about where they would want their child to go to school, if, if for any reason at all, where would they send them? So he went to work, got everybody at lunch, gave them the choices, and unanimously, all of these men from all different backgrounds, most of them are at best high school educated, everyone said to him, no today. So when it came down to it, and Digger Phelps thinks he did a great recruiting job, <laughs> he probably, you know, he probably did a good recruiting job. It was already done in the lunchroom in Lightelier when uh, Mr. Rivers came home and told uh, the family about what everybody said about Notre Dame. And, and, and from that was the, uh, you know, the uh, I think the connection with Dad and, and David was always there. It's just that the family was just, I can't begin to tell you to walk into the Rivers' house <laughs> how many people might be there. And it was by the time, Peter, by the time he was a senior, he would say to me, because now from sophomore year on, he wrote in a call at me all the time. He was, I, I, after practice, he'd always write home with me, along with other kids that I would drop off. But he would say to me, can you drop me off at my, sis, my sister Marilyn's? Or can you drop me off here at my, uh, at, at my other sister's house? Because he would go there because he would get a feel that by the time he got home, they had gone through all the food and the, uh, all the, everybody there had eaten everything in the house. And he would go to one of his sisters now who would feed him his dinner that night and then he'd go home. <laughs> It's it's funny that you mentioned the 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 guys at work choosing the school because I think it was the same story that I read about him having that conversation with you. Uh, Coach Phelps mentioned that he had just hired Pete Gillen as an assistant, and that he and Coach Gillen went to your living room and sat down on the couch and had this really great conversation with you. Um, I was and he was talking about how Coach Gillen was an East Coast guy, and that was an important thing that it kind of opened up a new territory. Yep, absolutely, absolutely. Pete, Pete was Pete was the real, you know, from the Notre Dame basketball part of it. Pete was the one that uh, you know made uh, made David feel comfortable because he came from Brooklyn. He was what he called, you know, he spoke the he spoke the uh, the same deal. <laughs> he was he understood. Uh, he was funny. And uh, and David was very 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 comfortable with him. All the assistants were good guys. There was a good, the staff there at the time, whether it was Matt or Gary Brokow or the uh, the whole group of guys that were there. There was just a good bunch.
bunch of guys, Jimmy Barron, all guys that we were, uh, you know, very friendly with. I was wondering, uh, that is one example, but when you have those types of interactions as a high school coach and you have a young man who you have been coaching and then you have these college coaches coming and, you know, recruiting them, what, what cues do you get in terms of knowing guys you want to send your guys to? You just mentioned that you had a certain trust maybe with Coach Gillen. Um, what, what types of things would let you know early on whether or not that's a good direction to send my guy? Yeah, well, I think it always got to be the quality of the university. That's got to be that's got to be something because this is a great opportunity that an athlete should take advantage of, and to get to get a, a meaningful degree from a university is going to is going to help the life after basketball, which is going to be uh, you know might end in college or it may end right after college or but it's going to end, and then what are you going to do for the rest of your life? So university, very important. I always felt that the you wanted to get the coach on the way up, though with Digger this probably wasn't true, getting the coach on the way up rather than the coach on the way down. You wanted a, a younger coach who would connect with the kids, not someone who who perhaps was uh, uh, it, it was didn't have that connection. But I think in this case with Notre Dame, uh, the assistance was so good. We were so comfortable with the assistant coaches that I think, uh, you know, Digger maybe being a little bit aloof wasn't necessarily a negative. It was, he was that head coach, that's who he was. But this kid was also such a talent. We were not worrying about, you know, David's career. You know, after the McDonald's All-American game that he had played as a high school senior, you know, it, to that point, he had just been playing against all of New York City's great guards and doing well. But that particular game, we just knew on a national stage now he could play. You know, he was going to be able to play with anybody because Delray Brooks, who was the you know high school player of the year and from Indiana, right? He uh, he was destroyed by David in the McDonald's game because he just was not quick enough to you know to deal with Dave. So I think we were okay with him. And I think it just became, it was very important that uh, for the minority kids, we knew about what college quality of life on campus would exist for a minority student. Uh, always talk to the kids to talk to the substitutes at the school. If they, they're not playing, are they happy being there? Do they like being there, even though they're not in the spotlight? And, uh, and it's, it's, you know, the, what you're thinking about taking is that is that offered and is it something that's considered you know a strength at that school when your guys leave you you've you've invested so much in them and those relationships over the years is is your perspective i've done my work now and they're ready to go and they can they're 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 going to thrive out away from here or is it a more of a lifelong relationship even beyond being gone yeah, no, it's it's no. You're, you're going to wean them off Jersey City and St. Anthony's, and that freshman year, you're you know you need to maintain contact. First semester, particularly important. Kid, a kid from the city, all of a sudden he's on a college campus, and uh, you know you, you know the Larry Bird story at Indiana, how he just was so uncomfortable, and they weren't making him comfortable. Uh, there's a whole period of time there in that first semester. We have to know that the kids have adjusted. And then as time goes on, you know, you'll, you'll see them then when they come home at Christmas or if the kids come home at Thanksgiving, the kids are going to stop by the gym. And then over the course of the four years, you're going to still have a relationship with them, but it, they drift.
away from you, though you keep some contact. You know, like yesterday, Rashawn McLeod called me. He graduated in 93. Jagan Mosley called me last night. He graduated in 2016. Uh, I'm trying to think. Third, I had three different kids call me yesterday. Uh, somebody else called, and each one was calling about something something different. And uh, many of them I still keep in contact with because I think that deal is the same deal as growing up with Charlie Shaughnessy or Mr. McCoy or, or people, uh, uh, you know, people that you you were around as a kid. They're they're part of you know they part of they shape you. They're part of uh, why you are who you are. So. Jagan's calling up, talking to me about uh, getting an agent right now. He just graduated. He's graduating from Georgetown. And Rashawn McLeod is living in Atlanta, and he's talking about uh, uh, how am I doing up here. And, geez, I can't even think of who my third one, but I had three different guys call, and we were laughing. that Oh, Tim Coleman called me, third kid. Tim plays. Uh, he graduated from NJIT. He's now in his uh, third year out of college, and he's been playing professionally over in Europe. And he has his uh, degree. And uh, so he's just checking because he lives in the same town my daughter does. And uh, just kind of reaching out and, uh, you know, seeing how things are going. Yeah, it's, uh, it's I think, always think a high school coach is the coach for life. The college coach is somebody that selected you because you had a, a certain ability. And you hope they maintain a relationship, but you can't be sure. As I was... Uh reading especially more about you the last several days coach i was i i was looking at some even some of your just videos online and instructional things and there's certainly a lot out there and in fact there's so much information in general from all coaches these days on youtube and you know every kind of drill you would want and yep. all it's yep. all out there so there's no shortage of like information now maybe it's different than it used to be um so is, is there a difference, though, Coach, from knowing the game versus knowing how to coach? Yeah, well, th- two things. I think people can get – you can uh, – many people say right now the sport is uh, – if the sport is overcoached and undertaught, that, uh, you know, people want to people wanna do things, but you, you need to put in – if you want to, you know, uh, I think Vic Bubbas – said this to Mike Krzyzewski when Mike was having some rough times in his third year at uh, Duke. He had just lost a, uh, what do you call game? He had lost a, a game on campus to Wagner College when P.J. Colissimo was coaching Wagner at the time. And Vic Bubba said, something that's going to be strong, it takes a while. You have to build a strong foundation. And too many people now are looking for the, uh, you know, we're a microwave society, people looking for the quick uh, uh, quick result. They're, uh, they don't feel the need to focus on the basics. Yet, you know, in the sport of basketball, you know, good teams don't do anything to, uh, to beat themselves. Uh, you teach the fundamentals, uh, and then you move on. You teach individual uh, fundamentals. Then team play, passing, you know, all of the skills, it, it must be taught. And you must look at every one of those fundamentals and not get bored with teaching them. If you just are getting bored with things like jump stop, uh, you know, catching the ball and getting in triple threat position, catching the ball with two hands, you know, passing the ball away from the defense to the offensive, to a teammate, if those, if those things bother you, your team is going to reflect that because you'll be, 
You'll be good when you're good, and when you're bad, you'll be really bad. It won't be that ability to to grind out a solid performance because you've mastered, you know, you've mastered the fundamentals. So much of the game over the years has been attached to, you know, attached to the school, um, whether it's St. Anthony's or St. Benedict's or any of the other places. Um, and, and that the school's identity, you know, kind of permeates what you do as a team um, and as a coach. Um, now with the move, so much basketball now in the, in the spring and summer is detached from schools. It's, it's you know, in the AAU circuit. That's been the case for a while, yeah. but it seems like those the influence in those places is all the greater. Um, has that shaped the impact that a high school coach at the school can have these days? Yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely. And we're only going the way, we're going the way of the model for uh, hockey and soccer uh, teams now that have club teams. It's considered more significant to be on a club team in those sports than it was, than it was, than it is to be on the, uh, the high school team. And, you know, in Europe, there's no such thing as high school teams. Everything is clubs. And we've we're we're drifting towards that model, which is uh, the isolation of the better players on the more significant club teams, and the at the expense of the late bloomer, or the uh, the kid that becomes part of of one of the teams. You know, I had kids who play in the NBA, who played on our freshman team, and played on our JV team, and got to the varsity as juniors and started or didn't start and weren't blossoming till senior high school and then had good careers in college and then played, played in the NBA. And that wouldn't happen now because if a kid now isn't on a club team, a traveling team when he's younger, he's perceived to be not good enough. So my example would be, you know, I found my self-esteem from the recreation men and from Charlie Shaughnessy and the people I was influenced by if I had tried out for one of these club teams, not having any experience at all, but being a good athlete, but not having experience, I wouldn't have made those teams and I might not have had direct gym to go to. In Jersey City, as we speak, those recreation gyms aren't open anymore. So the kids that used to join me in number 30 school or the second gym in my area, number 40 school, there might be 50, 75 or more kids in there just during one age group thing. Now kids will try out for a team and make a team and they'll play all the time with great exposure and probably pretty good coaching for the age. But everybody else is just like not even playing the sports anymore. Playgrounds are empty. Kids don't, uh, you know, they don't have a sense of athletic worth because the model now is only hand cherry picking the, uh, the best players and, and, you know, Playing at high school and having a packed gym uh, for a home game is very different than playing in an AAU championship. There's nothing like going to a high school game and using the home court to win or going to somebody else's gym and playing so well, you silence the crowd when you play. You can't, those experiences, unfortunately for the kids, they don't get these last couple of years, you've you've invested in working with young kids and in, in trying to create opportunities maybe for kids who, just like you're talking about, may may not have it like years past. Uh, what what has been 
kind of the fruits of that experience for you, coach, at this phase? Well, we, you know, we started, my wife and I just knew when school closed uh, in 16, that as we school closed, we were, you know, we had months to anticipate from finding out, like in March of senior year, um, until June when we were working on placing kids. As we worried about placing the kids, we also said, well, what about us? What are we going to do? So my daughter and my wife and I sat down and we decided and we called uh, Bobby and Danny and we started talking about how we were going to start a foundation. And the foundation was going to very simply just rent a gym and just see where this thing would go if we opened the gym up. And it was uh, a version of number 30 school or number 40 school. But specifically now, having a little bit of uh, uh, some some teaching going on in the gym, and we were going to just see where this thing was going to go. So that was, you know, the first uh, the first uh, year for us was the fall of seventeen, and uh, and then we had the fall of eighteen, and then fall of nineteen. So this is our third year, and we've had hundreds of kids that have. Uh, uh, registered to come uh, to come through to play on a given day we can have 80 90 kids without a problem sometimes over 100 some days maybe only 60 but they come in the gym I have a bunch of volunteers help we break them up according to age and then uh, we have like we rotate an hour and a half uh, one age group and then another age group comes in so we have like a three hours uh, three or four days a week and then we have a bunch of volunteers come in and help. And we work with the kids and we try to help the kids to, uh, uh, you know, uh, place them on, uh, you know, give them additional opportunities to play. Uh, we give them reversibles so everybody comes in wearing a reversible. Well, a lot of these kids are now going out for the freshman teams. And we have kids that have made the freshman teams. And uh, uh, we can see the younger kids were with us for a few years. We actually put together a traveling team so they would play a limited schedule just so we could gauge where they were. And the kids have already won like a, uh, like a regional championship with using the philosophy of St. Anthony's of the pass is the most important uh, skill and it's team over individual. So it's been a lot of fun. We, uh, during this, even during this uh, uh, quarantine time, We've been, uh, guys have helped us. We've been making uh, videos that we've been putting up on our site so kids can go on and see stuff that you can do at home during this period of time. And uh, it's, it's been a lot of fun. We miss those kids now during this time home as much as we would miss our kids from St. Anthony's if we were in the same situation. So, uh, yes, we miss those days, but uh, we feel very good that this, this place we're in now uh, there's a need. Uh, the kids love coming to the gym. Uh, I, I, I tighten the screws a little bit on them, but again, I have seven and eight year olds coming in the gym, so every, everything's relative to. I'm more of a I'm more of a grandfather doing this now than I am the, the guy that was be uh, you know uh, be a hair trigger have a hair trigger when I wasn't happy with uh, behavior or uh, attitude, or academic, or social performance. Well, I got a good laugh out of the uh, story I read about this. It was the same story, I think, where you were talking about recently uh, coaching on a Ash Wednesday, giving up giving up uh, cursing, and it 
only lasted like uh, one day when you were coaching. It, it lasted. <laughs> it lasted. We had a game that night, and it lasted to the jump ball, the jump ball to start the game, where we didn't tap the ball to the tap to the pocket. You know, we had a pocket, and we didn't go to the pocket. Lost the tap, and I cursed on the tap, and I turned to the assistant coach, who was Ben Gamble. I said, Ben. I gave up cursing for Lent. This is, you know, this is a Ash Wednesday here. I'm already done. So he says, "Well, let's 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 work on this. Maybe it's not going to happen the first day. Maybe you can get better at this." You know? It's perseverance, right? Yeah. <laughs> well, Coach, um, my last question for you is: as you as you look back on just your long journey in coaching and in the game. Um, were, were, would there be advice you would give to your younger self, maybe in those first five years of coaching, that that you would offer to some of our young coaches? Just kind of basic things in that in those first days, the first years that you coach that you think are still relevant to our young people today. Yeah, I think you know Chuck Daly said this, you know, and I heard Chuck say this, and I've read articles where he talks about it takes about five years to be comfortable in your own skin as a coach. And so in starting the process, you know, as, as I said, this microwave society of trying to, you know, have instant success, you have to put time in to build a style of play that fits you as a person and fits the kids you're going to coach and fits the changing landscape of basketball. You know, the, the sport of basketball in the last five years has changed and in 10 years it's changed enormously. You know, I think it's, becoming a more skill, we're going back to more skill and not so much physical play. And that's good. And we're, so we're finding a way to a different way of playing here in the United States. And, uh, I think if I'm a young coach right now, I have to, I have to pay my dues. I have to go to clinics. I have to read about the sport, but I also have to read about the ability to work with people. It's cause it's, it's about relationships. It's about understanding the age of the people you're working with. It's about knowing who David Rivers is when he comes to play for you and not just looking at this talent, but taking the time to, to understand his family, his, you know, uh, his beliefs, uh, things that are going on in his life so that when a player knows that you care about them as an individual, yes, you can then push them and we would always say we push them for two reasons and this is what i would say to coaches all the time we always push people because we think there's more there than their parents and teachers are getting out of them and number two you'd never want to be that person later on in life have a person come back to me and say coach i realize now that our relationship was it was good but you didn't push me enough i could have been better and I, I just, our, our friendship was overshadowed by you not pushing me to be who I could be. You know, when I finished coaching after 50 years, when these guys call me, every one of them would have a story about how much they came into a practice and they weren't ready to go. And I would always say, and coaches should say, I have strong shoulders. For all of you that aren't ready today, hop on because we need to have a good day. And what an adult does is an adult is responsible for doing something even when they don't necessarily feel like doing it. Whereas a young person in that same situation would slack off and try to come up with uh, you know an excuse that day for performance. 
So that's really important, and that probably is maybe a little long-winded, but I think it's maybe some parts of that are important.